Before we get into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy listening to this show, please take a second to leave a review. It will help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message, or if you have a story to share, send a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous, and it will help thousands of listeners manage their own toxic work experience. I was still in college around the time I found out about the organization, The Lake Group. I had an internship in my local area. So this is where I met Aaron and I met Dylan. And so we all got along really well. They seemed like great people to work with and work for. This is Anna. Before working for the Lake Group, she worked for another nonprofit that had some overlap with the Lake Group, which is how she was introduced to her soon-to-be managers, Aaron and Dylan. The Lake Group is a protective environmental nonprofit close to Anna's hometown. I graduated from college and then COVID happened. So it was really hard for me to find a position. There were a lot of jobs that were posted, but were no longer active. So it was really difficult. And I kept pestering the late group. I'm like, please hire me. I know I can do well for you guys. And they were like, I'm sorry, like we don't have a job for you right now. So eventually Aaron invited me to apply. He later offered me the position. So it was a very rushed interview process. He was like, hey, like we wanted to offer you the position. And I remember just saying, are you kidding me? Like I was so stoked and so excited. This lake was the reason why I went to college to begin with. I always really wanted to be able to give back to my community, protect the water supply that I grew up on and, you know, protect my family and friends. So I was super excited to be offered that position. And I started about two weeks later. Anna couldn't have asked for a better fit. She was stoked because the mission of this nonprofit and the role of her new position was in alignment with everything she was passionate about. It was her dream to be involved in protecting the environment and more specifically, the lake that she grew up on. But inside the walls of the lake group, she would find a failing operation run by Aaron, who would quickly prove to be an awful leader. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived highly toxic work experiences only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. So I was over at like a government office with Dylan at the regulatory branch. And then Aaron was at a college office, actually. So I didn't really see Aaron that often. So it was really just working with Dylan and and Dylan was great. My first day was kind of weird. I was given this work laptop. And when I opened it up, there was a whole bunch of windows open on it. The last hire's personal email was open. Like she had just vanished. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, I'm not going to ask. Like, I'm new. I'm just going to pretend like this didn't happen. This is strange. And so I'm clicking through her old documents. And there's an email on there that says, Aaron, aggressive email. And I'm like, what happened here? Like, I am so confused. So obviously, I click on it. 
it seemed like there was some kind of an issue with COVID. So she was around with Dylan when COVID was still going on. And she was like, hey, like, I'm using my personal vehicle. You're working from home with a work vehicle. Can I borrow it? I'm having a really hard time getting down these tiny roads by the lake with my sedan. And, you know, is it your personal vehicle? Like, I was just wondering if I could use it because Dylan and this um, girl that was there before me weren't allowed to ride in the one truck that they had together. So he just responded like in all of this bold red text. And he was like, I gather that you recognize the second vehicle is out of the discussion. We need to put this to rest. I've stated it like numerous times, yet you decide to pursue it anyway. We're operating at a deficit. And in terms of capacity, you know, we have maybe 10 years until this organization is dissolved. I'm putting between, you know, 100 miles a month on this car. Does that seem like it's a large enough number to you? And he's just like flipping out on her. And he's like, I am very concerned about you. Are you even happy in this position? I think we need to meet with the chair of the organization to discuss whether or not this role is good for you. I'm just trying to keep us employed. There's an economic downturn, like all of this stuff and like berating her. Of course, I don't ask, right? Because this is like, it's my first day. And I'm like, what is going on? So she responds and she's like, yes, I'm new and I'm still trying to understand everything. Like, I'm just looking for an understanding. If you need to get me up to speed, please tell me what I'm doing without getting angry at me. I'm like very hurt by your response. And I've told you again and again, like, I love my job. Like, I moved here for this job and I want to address your concerns. Maybe we should have a different conversation about this because, like, I'm literally just trying to do my job. (laughs) She thought it was bad enough to where she saved it on this computer and didn't delete it. She must have been fired in haste because all of her stuff was open. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. But like, I didn't ask about this until like three months later. Anna didn't want to believe what she was seeing. She was high on cloud nine, day one of her dream job. But the magnitude of toxicity within this email was hard to deny. From the bold red font to the accusations and berating, this was a glaring red flag Anna couldn't unsee. The Aaron she knew was friendly and charming, not an aggressive jerk. But it was too soon to say anything. She didn't want to start on the wrong foot and ruffle any feathers her first day on the job. Aaron's comment about the financial outlook of this organization not being sustainable was worrisome to Anna. With it being a nonprofit, their financials were open and available to the public. So I I immediately went online and confirmed that they are running a deficit every year and then by the amount of money that they had in their reserves at that deficit that they were running, it was about 10, maybe 15 years. So I could see why Aaron was like concerned and upset about, you know, not purchasing another vehicle. But then it like made me wonder what is going on with these finances. Just at first glance, I noticed that Aaron's salary was ridiculously high in comparison to Dylan's and mine. And I was like, oh, that might be a significant chunk, but there were so many line items. It was hard to really draw any conclusions on like why it's happening. But I also felt really bad for the girl before me because she was literally just trying to do her job. The financial deficit was alarming and too overwhelming for Anna to dig in. She was still new and wanted to stay focused on her training and learning the ropes of this nonprofit. She figured there had to be a reasonable explanation behind the email, and if this nonprofit needed help, she could be the one to fix it. But it wasn't long before she would start to hear and see more signs that Erin wasn't as nice as she initially thought. 
over time, I started to hear more things coming from Dylan about Aaron. Part of the issue was that Dylan had been in this job for over like 20 or 30 years and Aaron had never had the job that Dylan had. So like Aaron would send him administrative tasks and other random miscellaneous things that Dylan didn't really have time for, but you can't really say anything when this is how apparently this guy responds to the simplest of requests. So Dylan had started to open up to me about things to be aware of and things to be concerned about. The micromanagement um, was one thing of like, you know, telling us, oh, you have to do this administrative thing when we don't have time to. Every two weeks, we had to submit our timesheets to our bookkeeper and we had to copy Aaron on those emails um, and he would send out like reminders. So we had a Google calendar that had reminders of those things. So it was kind of annoying to have a Google calendar reminder go off and then have him be like, don't forget. I'm like, we just had our, cal- our shared calendar reminder go off two minutes ago. Like, well, we know. So one of the first times I sent it in, it was the following week, we got an email from Aaron and he was like, our bookkeeper did not get your timesheet. You need to be responsible for your own record keeping. You need to copy me on these emails. And I just like felt berated. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I sent it. So like I go back through and I find my email and sure enough, I sent it to our bookkeeper and I sent it to Aaron. I didn't want to be like passive aggressive because I'm like reminding myself of the things that the girl before me went through. And I'm like, you need to be very careful. So I forward this email and I'm just like, please see the forwarded email. And then the tone like completely changes. Oh, thank you very much. The entire time I worked here, he never said sorry for anything. I never got any accountability from him ever. A manager who lacks accountability and consistently avoids apologizing for their mistakes can create a toxic work environment by undermining the team's trust. Accountability is crucial for effective leadership because it demonstrates commitment to integrity and responsibility. Aaron was lacking accountability in more ways than one. He would also present the work of Dylan and Anna as his own, which made them question what he was actually accomplishing for this organization. We would have these monthly meetings where all of those townships that were around the lake were attending our monthly meetings for updates. And so we would have partners there, different government agencies, our report, Aaron's report every single month. And something I started to notice was that Aaron would report on our work, and instead of calling us by name or by calling us the regulatory branch, he would say the Lake Group staff. So it almost felt like he was taking credit for everything that we did. And then he would also present on other partners' work, which irritated them. Like, we would have hush-hush conversations, and I'd be like, I can't believe he reported on that moments before I did. He would sit in the back of the room and not pay attention to any of that meeting until it was time to give his presentation. After a while, I started to see the pattern of after those biweekly meetings, he would find out what we were doing, put them in his report, and report on them. We started to cross off things that he did not do, and we were left with very little. We're like, okay, so what does this guy do taking a third of the nonprofit's money? And his salary, we don't know what he's doing, but it sounds like a lot because he talks for 15 minutes on what everyone else is doing. Aaron was clearly a poor manager, and it was obvious to those who worked closely with him, but he wasn't going anywhere. Aaron came from a well-to-do family that was heavily connected to the leaders of Anna's community. Nepotism can act as a safeguard for a bad manager, 
Their protection is based on personal relationships and their family name, rather than their performance. So Aaron has a PhD, and his family is very well-known locally for doing a lot of scientific research. So I think that because Aaron came with the family name, the chair felt like he was the most qualified person to lead his organization. So the chair created the Lake Group and then hired like a very prestigious name, Aaron, to come in and, you know, be that figurehead. Anna and Dylan worked together in the regulatory branch of this nonprofit, which felt isolated from Aaron and the rest of the operation. Despite the disconnect, she was happy to work closely with Dylan because he was an excellent mentor and taught her a lot about the industry and the organization. Dylan was trustworthy and validated Anna's suspicions of Aaron's poor leadership. The two were able to keep their heads down and dodge conflict with Aaron, which made work more tolerable and enjoyable. But Dylan wasn't planning to stay for the long haul. After three months of working there and being trained by Dylan, Dylan told me that he was leaving and I was to be the only employee left in the regulatory branch. That was really terrifying. Like he had 20, 30 years of experience and I was completely stricken with fear. I had an idea of how to perform the job alone, but it's still a large area to monitor. Over the next two and a half years of me working there, he still remained in touch with me to help me out. And I always appreciate that. But like, he was my mentor. And I like really looked up to him. And after he left, like I turned around and cried so hard. Like I tried to be strong and like not let him know how upset I was. They immediately went into trying to hire somebody else to get me some help. And I asked about being moved up into Dylan's title. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. This next person is going to be your equal. And so it was a guy and he had a master's degree, but didn't need it. And they were going to pay him like two or $3,000 more than what I was currently making. And I'm thinking to myself, how are you going to pay somebody that I have to train as my equal at that and pay him like $3,000 more because of a master's degree he doesn't need? So I ended up getting the same salary as him after asking. And I was suspicious that it was gender related, but I didn't really know. Um, so I did like him. He came from a different state. He worked for a government agency. He was only there for a couple of months before he left due to irritation over Aaron. And he did not put in his two weeks. He literally left. Um, We ended up getting a new vehicle through a grant, the one that the former girl was so concerned about. So all of a sudden it could happen when the finances didn't change at all, but whatever. Why a grant couldn't have been written back then? She got fired for asking. I don't know. So he literally just dropped off the vehicle and left because... He felt belittled. He felt disrespected. Aaron asked him to do these mindless tasks during his last week rather than doing the full scope of the job, which he felt like was really rude. So he's like, I'm not putting up with this guy. I'm leaving. And around the time that he was still working there, I gained a stalker, which lasted for half of my employment there. Uh, We met with this guy, uh, gave him some state permitting information. And he started sending me nasty texts and emails. Every time I drove past this person's house, I would get an email or a message. So I literally felt like he was just staring out the window, waiting for my work truck to go by. Like, God knows if he's following me. And like, I'm trying to talk to people. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's super creepy. And I didn't know what to do. But I knew that there's like an anti-harassment policy for most workplaces. So I asked Aaron about it. And Aaron kind of brushed it off. Um, But the police didn't believe me when I reported it. They were like, oh, well, you probably had a relationship with him and you're just not telling us. And I eventually 
tried to go see a judge about a restraining order. And the judge knew the guy and was like, you don't have to worry about him. We're not giving you a restraining order. I showed up at the judge's office alone and walked out alone in tears. This new guy leaves and now I'm alone again with a stalker. And I'm like, great. I love this. (laughs) Prioritizing employees' safety is a fundamental aspect of responsible and sustainable business. Part of this job was driving out to landowners' properties, and some of those properties were in rural areas without cell phone service. Anna wasn't comfortable being alone, especially now that she had someone stalking her. Instead of brushing her off, Erin should have taken proactive steps to prevent and address the stalking to make sure Anna was safe while at work. He should have gone with her to make the police report or showed up in front of the judge to get the restraining order. Not only did Aaron not support Anna in securing her safety, he would contribute to the uneasiness. Anna and Aaron were soon moved to the same location, and Anna started to feel uncomfortable in his presence. He would, like, lean over me, like, way too closely. I would, like, stand up and get so far away from him that you, like, should be able to take a hint. He would walk up from behind me and I wouldn't see him. I would be, like, surprised and, like, alarmed that he'd be, like, standing there over my shoulder doing God knows what. And then he would, like, look amused with himself. He would go from, like, this super charming, super nice, super helpful guy to, like, being super condescending. Aaron was dragging his feet when it came to hiring Dylan's replacement because of budgetary constraints. But having two people in the regulatory branch was completely necessary in order to handle the workload. Anna finally convinced Aaron to search for a new candidate in which Anna was able to select during the interview process. I go with somebody I went to college with, and her name was Jenny. So I was finally promoted to have Dylan's title, but without the pay, which comes up later. Jenny became like my best friend and like truly helped me see some of the verbal abuse and inequity that was happening at the late group. She stayed for about a year and a half. And when she finally did leave because of Aaron, she begged me to like leave with her. I was like, we can't leave together. Like, I can't leave all of this knowledge behind. I at least have to hand it over to somebody appropriately. But I promise you, I will find a way out. She was really the one that convinced me that I needed to go. So there were quite a few things that she had seen. Um, so we actually ended up crafting a very long document of every event that we felt like was not okay. So I'm going to be referring to that a little bit. Um, but first we made like a list of things that we experienced. And then as things happened, we kind of documented which one of those things we were experiencing. So the list is 11 things. First is providing badly defined projects with little or no resources to complete the projects, changing priorities so that completing projects are difficult, setting us up to fail due to poor communication, taking credit for our work, effectively burying our early career successes, withholding information when it's required to do our jobs effectively, lack of constructive responses, degrading, belittling, condescending behavior, lack of accountability, unethical behavior, ostracism, emotional abuse, passive aggressive type of language, and invasion of personal space and privacy. So the first thing that happened, um, we felt like it was ignoring our feedback, no consideration for our workload problems. So the Lake Group acquired um, this massive piece of property. So at some point, Aaron handed me a piece of paper. He didn't tell me what it was. He just kind of put it on my desk and he was like, review this when you get a chance. I didn't get to it until like weeks later. And I found out that we would now be responsible for monitoring that parcel every year. And it was over 160 acres. And we had to look for like illegal activities, you know, any other water quality concerns. But other weird things like trespassing and squatting, which had nothing to do with our job. And so 
Jenny at some point, she's like, I feel like there's like a misalignment between like what the community is paying for us to do because we're funded by government dollars. We hopped on a Zoom call with Aaron. I was like, look, like I think we're going to have trouble accommodating for this. Like, what's the perception going to be? Like, are we going to be expected to sacrifice our routine work? Is this a permanent responsibility? Like, what is this? And he was like, the committee is not your boss. I am. And we don't need approval from them. You are the staff of the Lake Group. And you will take on additional responsibilities as I provide them. I am your boss. And sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. And I was like, oh, my God. Thinking to myself, like, you asked me to provide comments, questions, and concerns. And then you dismissed said comments, questions, and concerns. So then that's the lack of constructive responses, condescending language. So we have a committee in all legal writings. The committee is supposed to be our boss. And like, we've been hearing this from other people. We've read it ourselves. And so now there's like this animosity around Aaron being our boss at all. But of course we don't bring it up. At some point, Jenny starts asking about pay because Jenny was hired for even less money than I was hired for. And I had explained to her how much the guy who only stayed for three months was making. And she was like, are you kidding me? She's like, well, how much was Dylan making? And I explained it to her. I showed her the finances. It's all documented through a nonprofit. And she's like, I think this is an Equal Pay Act concern. Like you're supposed to be paid if you're doing the same work at the same organization, the same title, you're supposed to be receiving the same amount of money as your male counterpart. And I'm like, you know what, like, this is going to be incredibly difficult to bring up to Aaron, but I support you. And I think we should. So she writes this letter and I write a letter explaining our market research and how much we think we're worth and how much the men were apparently worth. And we hand it to Aaron. He was like, okay with my letter, but he was not okay with hers. And he, like, spent maybe, like, five to six hours throughout the course of one week on the phone with me asking me why I didn't dissuade her from talking about it. And I'm, like, telling him, first of all, that is unethical. And secondly, that is illegal. You cannot dissuade somebody from bringing up a protected action when it's a concern. And so, like, we have this really, really hard meeting with him a couple of different times. And he's constantly calling us entry level, that we're inexperienced, that we don't understand the Equal Pay Act, that we don't know what we're talking about. Pretty much that we're stupid in the most, I don't know, I guess you could say respectful terms, but they still weren't respectful at all. And so then he's just like, you know, this is putting down the Me Too movement, which was like it's unrelated. Like You clearly don't know what the Me Too movement is. All I said to him was, Aaron, I don't know what to say to you. I am not going to comment on that. And he just gave me this snooty face and he was like, okay. So Aaron sends this email and he's like, I understand you both had some questions about the Equal Pay Act. And, you know, I am like offended that you think I would do that to you. And Jenny and I were like, we understand that like this might not be deliberate. Like sometimes people don't come in and say, I'm going to pay a woman less for this job. Sometimes it just happens. Like we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily accusing you of doing this on purpose, but we still think this is happening. We would like an investigation. So he's like, I'm going to have to bring this up to the higher ups. And we were like, do it. Like we, at this point we need it. He always like gate kept the higher ups from us. Like we were never allowed to talk to them. And in our employee handbook, it always said if we had an issue with Aaron, that we were supposed to go to the higher ups. And after Jenny left, I had done that over a couple situations, which really ended up being the last straw for me because I got berated for it. The main purpose of the Equal Pay Act is to address and eliminate wage disparities based on gender. The law seeks to ensure that employees who perform substantially similar work, regardless of gender, receive equal pay for equal work. Aaron was doing everything he could to dissuade Jenny and Anna from moving forward with this claim. 
mainly by belittling them and explaining how they weren't as qualified as the men who once worked in their positions. Unfortunately, there would be a deterrent that shifted the focus from unequal pay to a workers' comp claim. So we really had no support at this point, and we knew it, because he was very protective over the higher-ups. Like, he kept telling us not to go to them, and that it was such a bad thing that he had to go to them. We were like, whatever, like, this needs to be investigated. But at some point, while this is going on, we get in a car accident. It wasn't that bad. I sprained my neck, and Jenny was okay, but it still totaled our truck. And so this kind of like overlaps any investigation into the Equal Pay Act because now we were dealing with workers' compensation. And I was like, of course I'm going to file a workers' comp suit because if I end up with neck issues for the rest of my life, like this is what this is from. And I also want to advise Jenny appropriately. And I'm like, Jenny, we're filing workers' comp. This is, this is how it's done. And then Aaron's on the phone with me. Why didn't you dissuade from workers' comp? I'm like, because that's protected action. That is illegal. So I go to an urgent care because our urgent care had an x-ray machine and then he's texting me and he's like, why are you going to urgent care? Do you realize that this is going to increase our monthly bill for workers comp? Pretty much trying to like make me feel guilty for like receiving care and choosing urgent care. And I'm like, if you want to know if I can work or not, like I need to go and get an immediate answer. And I keep like going back and forth with him like via text about this. So the Equal Pay Act never gets brought up again. And then we just continue to like put our heads down and deal with different belittling language. Every time we looked at this document and we like read through it again, we're like, what are we doing? You know, (laughs) what are we doing? The document Anna and Jenny created to keep record of the things that were problematic was helpful in more ways than one. It was great for their own personal reference and it made it easier to identify Aaron's patterns of behavior as they happened. It also empowered them to advocate for themselves. It gave them a structured way to express their concerns to the higher-ups of this nonprofit. So Jenny's like, you know what? We should go to the higher-ups with this document. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, I think we should. And so we're like, I'm looking at the handbook. And it says that we can go to the vice chair. So we go to the vice chair. She agrees to meet with us. We tell her everything. And she is completely astonished. And she's like, well, I will keep this to myself for now to try to protect you guys but it ends up coming up at one of the higher up meetings and Aaron finds out and he's very upset with us and he gives us the cold shoulder for like over a week and then nothing's ever really resolved and then Jenny doesn't really feel too confident that anything will ever get resolved even though the vice chair was like supportive she didn't want to be ostracized or like emotionally abused so she ends up leaving And so I'm dealing with him, Aaron, alone again. And, like, things are very up and down still. Like, I'm very upset now and jaded that, like, I lost what was my best friend now at this workplace. You know, it was really Dylan and Jenny for me that kept it together. And now I didn't have either of them. We've been berated from going to the vice chair before. And so they're like, we want to reward you for staying. We want to give you a bonus or a promotion. And I'm like, cool. So they send me this job description of a 2B promotion. And they're like, go ahead and add anything you'd like to have. You know, Aaron needs a lot of help. So maybe you can work a little bit more closely with Aaron. You know, maybe you can continue to run the regulatory side of things as well. And I'm thinking to myself, well, not that I want to work closer to him, but it would be really good on my resume. So I'm like, you know, can I be your assistant lead type of thing? He's like, oh, I think that's like two steps for you. Like, let's make you like the widespread manager and you can kind of be the glue. And I'm I'm like trying to like speak to like what he wants because we're fairly underpaid at a nonprofit. I mean, it's part of the reason why Jenny left. 
so I'm like, okay, but like for a whole week of discussing this potential promotion, like no one brings up salary at all. So I literally used chat GTP because I was so afraid of not sounding respectful enough. And I'm like, chat, like, this is what I want to say. This is my draft email. Can you make it sound more professional? Just so it reads well, because I was not going to have this conversation with Aaron over the phone. Um, so I sent him an email and I'm like, and I did my research and everything. And at this point I've had like enough experience. So I kind of know what to expect. Um, but he comes back with like, he was just like, you're, and he said this to Jenny a couple of times too. He's like, you're just so righteously indignant. He loved the word indignant. Um, but I almost felt like that was kind of like a reflection of how he was feeling at times. And I was just like, can you explain to me like how I'm coming off this way? Like literally looking for like any constructive criticism to improve, like acknowledging my role in the situation, trying to be as professional as possible. I'm like, if I really am a problem, like everything goes both ways. Like there's gotta be something in here that like came off wrong. And I'd like love, honestly love to learn from it, but there was none of that. Feeling indignant can be a sign that someone cares deeply about issues of fairness and justice. It can motivate people to take action or advocate for positive change. Erin was calling Anna indignant in an accusatory manner, as if it was something she needed to work on, instead of understanding the context and realizing it was his actions, or lack thereof, that caused unfair treatment and wrongdoing towards Anna. The amount of money Anna was asking for with the promotion was only $4,000, which, in the grand scheme of things, is not a significant amount of money, and considering how much the men before her were making, it really wasn't out of line with what she was being promoted for. But Aaron wanted to make her jump through hoops to get it. So he calls me, and so he, like, explains to me that, like, I should have just taken whatever they decided to give me and that, you know, the only way I would ever receive a raise or like, you know, anything other than a dry promotion um, would be to like get, you know, some kind of offer from another job. And I was like, well, I certainly hope that the only way to receive a raise here is not to get an offer from another job. Like that's really disheartening. So I have like a little bit more guts in the situation and I'm just like, you know, I did my research. I don't understand what I said was, was wrong about it. Like, I don't know. Like if you could provide me any criticism and he's like, well, you should just take what you're given. And it was pretty righteously indignant for you to throw out a number before we've even discussed it. And I was like, Aaron, like we've been talking about this for a week and like, I've heard nothing about salary. And I was like, of course I'm going to ask. And so he's just being like incredibly rude to me on the phone. Like one of the worst conversations I've ever had with him. It ends with, well, I don't know what else to say to you. You know, so I get off the phone with him and I just start crying my eyes out because I'm so fed up at this point. So I call the vice chair, even though I know I'm supposedly not supposed to. I call her and she answers and I'm just in like complete tears. And she's like, oh my God, like what is going on? And so I tell her and she was like, oh my God, like you're not our slave. I would have expected you to ask about salary like long before the week mark. And I was like, thank you. And she's like, nothing you're doing or saying is wrong at all. I completely believe that you were super respectful. Like, I'm sorry this is happening. So she kind of like talked me down a little bit. She's like, I will figure this out. And so Aaron starts calling, beeping her while she's on the phone with me. And I'm like, great. Well, at least I'm glad I got to you first. And so after they talk, Aaron starts texting me. And he's like, I really think we should clear the air before the weekend. I was like, no, I really am not in any position to talk to you right now. We can talk next week. And so Tuesday rolls around and he's giving me the cold shoulder. I go up to him and I'm like, hey, like if you still want to talk, we have a biweekly internal scheduled. You know, we could we can talk during then or we were supposed to go out together and do some like outdoor work together. And I was like, or we could talk then. And he's like, I'll let you know. And like just cold shoulder me all day. So I wait around for like the 
that little reminder to go off my calendar for the meeting. I get a notification that he cancels it. And then he starts packing up and leaves to go do the outdoor work without saying anything. And then at the end of the day, he's like, we can talk tomorrow. So Wednesday morning comes around. I am so anxious all Tuesday night long because I have no idea what to expect. I'm so scared. And I come in Wednesday morning and he's like, you didn't attempt to talk to me at all after this whole situation. And I was like, I sent you follow-up emails. I talked to you two times throughout the day to talk with you because you wanted to talk. And he's like, oh, no, no, I didn't want to talk. I was just trying to provide you space to talk. So he goes through a list of points regarding me that there's no HR, the nonprofit is young, even though it's been around for over like 12 years at this point, and that I need to respect the structure by not going to the vice chair um, and not speaking with her, that it's inappropriate. Another one of the higher-ups told the vice chair that it was inappropriate for her to be speaking with me, even though that is our grievance policy. So I had told the vice chair, I was like, you need to iron out this grievance policy because I have no support. Why is it in the handbook if that's not what we're supposed to be doing? And, and so I explained that to Aaron and I was like, you know, I was just trying to figure out like, you know, what I could understand in, you know, about my salary and that I have little to work with in regard to anybody's opinion on my salary, which like led to a breakdown of communication. And he didn't say anything. He told me again, I was indignant, unprofessional, inappropriate, demanding. He also questioned my competence by continually saying I have no experience, which I've heard for two and a half years after leading this entire branch of the organization. And I was like, I disagree, which made him angry. But he like didn't provide any constructive advice, examples of how I was indignant, demanding, aggressive, you know, unprofessional, like he had said. He's like, I will not be recommending you for a promotion because you're demanding an inexperienced. And so I'm thinking to myself, this just feels like textbook retaliation for reporting a violation of our policy. This is bullying behavior. And I'm going through our company policy. My performance reviews have been fantastic. Like I have documentation of how well I've done since I've been here, especially after losing Dylan and going through these changes. And I'm like, how am I just like inexperienced and basically worthless? And he kept saying, he's like, is there anything you need to say to me? So I felt like he was asking for an apology, even though I didn't do anything. I go, I'm sorry for talking to you while I was upset. I probably could have came off better on the phone that day. I was like, can we apologize to each other? And he goes, I will not apologize. I was too intimidated and uncomfortable at that point to like be upfront about what mistakes I felt like he made even though like the vice chair admitted to me that he was dealing with this really poorly. So he, yeah, he just told me more than once that I was like inexperienced, unprofessional, selfish, impatient, and said that the vice chair fell on the sword for me. And I reminded him I was just following policy. And he was like, I'm unfamiliar with this reporting process and asked me to just quote it off the top of my head. I was like, I can provide you a copy of the language, but he wasn't interested in that. Aaron was using bullying, gaslighting, and coercion to get Anna to agree to his terms. When Anna refused to give in to his nonsense, he retaliated by giving her the cold shoulder and framing her to be the nonsensical and demanding one. But Anna played by the rules. She put boundaries on the timing of her discussions with Aaron so that she could participate without being upset and overly emotional, and she also sought out the counsel of the vice chair, as directed in the handbook. But playing by the rules doesn't lead to a resolution when dealing with a toxic boss. I've experienced enough turnover here to know that, like, I mean, I was the only one sticking it out. Like, I was I was actually starting to question why nobody else was noticing why the turnover, like, was. Like, 
are they not seeing, like, especially after the vice chair, like, knew about Jenny's concerns and then saw her leave? Like, how is nobody making the connection or the way that the guy who only stayed for a couple of months left? Like, why is nobody making the connection that this is the problem? And, like, again, as a local, like, I'm seriously concerned. Like, we do an important job. Like, this isn't a joke. Like, I understand that Aaron's not from here and he gets to go home every night in a different water supply, but we don't. Like, this is not a joke. So the next day, like, after being berated, belittled, intimidated, threatened, and so on, and he, like, continued to isolate me. I was, like, anxious all week. I just felt like he was aware that I had nobody to report it to. There were no witnesses because Jenny was gone. And if I continue to report it, I'll just be berated. So I was, like, at this point, afraid I was going to get fired because I felt like the girl before me got fired for less. The next day I get called into the chair's office and I was like, this is it. I'm getting fired. This is, this is literally it for me. Like, why, why would I be getting called into the chair's office? Because the girl before me in the email, Erin was like, we're going to meet with the chair and discuss your employment. And then she was gone. And the chair was like super helpful whenever I went through these harassment incidents. So like he, he's never been like directly bad to me, but it always made me like suspicious that he was super close with Erin. And he had just explained to me that they're going to wait to see where the new higher salary ends up. But internally, I was like, well, that's kind of weird because the new higher salary is a known salary range. So why are you going to tell me it's based in budget, like holding off on my promotion when we know what that person's salary is going to like fall within? That doesn't make any sense. And I, I told him, I was like, I feel harassed and bullied and like this feels like retaliation. And he was like, no, 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 this is just budget. And like, we're not going to fire you. Like, we've never had a discussion about firing you. Like, don't worry about it. But at this point, I'm like, okay, well, if the only way I can get a raise is to get an offer from another company, then that is what I will do. And sadly for them, the offer that I ended up getting like a week later didn't take me very long to get the exact salary I was asking for somewhere else. And they offered a lot of other benefits they wouldn't offer. And, uh, and so I didn't give them an opportunity to negotiate. I cried so hard knowing that I was going to accept that offer because this was literally all I wanted to do. If I had the opportunity to go back and then just be separate from Aaron, I would totally do that for, for the rest of my life. So I ended up like telling them we hired a new girl who still texts me to this day when she needs help. And so one of the higher ups that talked to the vice chair and told her not to talk to me actually met with me last weekend to spill the beans on why I left. And I told her everything. And I don't know that anything will change, but at least like the higher ups understand what happened, whether or not they want to believe it. Despite genuine efforts to communicate concerns and suggest improvements, some organizations may be resistant to change for various reasons, whether it's blatant denial or a systemic issue. This can make it feel like a lost cause. Anna loved the actual job at this nonprofit and identified with its mission, which gave her purpose. But the poor leadership and demeaning behavior from Erin was too much to bear. She was forced to move on. The ups and downs and the ups and flows of these kinds of situations can be so confusing. And like, by nature, they make you doubt yourself and question your sanity. And you are unwilling to believe how you're feeling and the things that you're going through. Even if you have like numerous people telling you like, this is not okay, that like, you find excuses for yourself and you find excuses for that person and the entire situation. So like your podcast helps me realize what I was going through and like gave me the confidence to like reach out to you. And I just want other people to like see those similarities 
in their situation so they can have the confidence to know that they are worth what they originally thought they were worth no matter like what this other person or yourself might be making you believe like I got the salary I was asking for on my first ask and they hired me right away like whoever is listening you are certainly worth it and get out of there if it is not good for your health trust yourself the first couple of times I started to see these things I had a hope that I would be able to fix things. And I think in some doses, you know, that can be healthy and helpful because I'm sure there are some situations where you can make great change. But to have given myself a deadline on that change, I think would have been a better idea. You know, it's not that I didn't listen to Dylan. I certainly did. But I think like the amount of hope that I had was a little bit toxically positive. (laughs) So like to be a little bit more, more realistic about that and like you know, actually seek out what your hard knows are. What are you willing to tolerate and what are you not willing to tolerate? Like, where are you going to draw the line in the sand and to hold yourself to that? Unfortunately, like I needed those years of experience to really do well for this new job that I got. So I probably would have stayed and endured, but like I also should have trusted myself earlier on. Um, There probably were jobs that were open that I could have gotten that experience from that I wasn't looking for because I had the belief that I can change things. Something Jenny said to me is like, you can't give from an empty cup. So I kept staying because I didn't want to leave my community with an inexperienced staff, you know, that are serving them. I could have left behind documents for them to find when this person gets hired so they weren't totally on their own if I really felt that way. And I also should have like, been able to think of that statement myself is that you can't give from an empty cup like when I reached my point of empty I should have paid more attention to like my productivity how well I was actually doing I would try to take time off if I like sense myself not being productive but there were a lot more times than that that I worked through it and I didn't feel like I was giving the community the attention it deserved because I was just so depleted so like recognizing like depletion in yourself is important instead of just powering through like we live in such a hustle culture that so many of us believe like you have to keep going no matter what it is but to a degree like you also have to like take care of yourself because you're not going to do your best if you're not at your best no one's success path is linear even if you have to take a pay cut in order to get into a situation uh, that's not shameful at all progress is not linear I I mean maybe going back to like my earthy roots here and like pun intended because have you ever pulled a carrot out of the ground and saw it like bend at like a 90 degree angle and you're like what is wrong with this you know if you've ever done any gardening it's like that vegetable or that root or whatever may have hit a rock in its path and like maybe it had to turn but it never stopped growing and I think that's something that more people need to recognize like there's so many of us that take a personal hit when we have to like step back on our salary or step back and like like a less managerial role, thinking that we're a failure, but we're not. You're always going to do better in that position if you're in a healthier environment and one that you can actually thrive in and learn from and actually be genuinely thanked for like the work that you do and not in a shallow kind of way. Leaving a toxic work environment is not just an act of self-preservation. It's the courageous choice to open new doors of opportunity and personal growth. Just as a flower can't thrive in unhealthy soil, neither can your potential and well-being flourish in a toxic workplace. Embrace the wisdom to recognize when it's time to move on, and in doing so, you make space for a new path, one that aligns with your values, nurtures your talents, and allows you to bloom into the best version of yourself. 
Leaving is not admitting defeat. It's acknowledging your worth and choosing a future where your contributions are valued, your efforts are rewarded, and your spirit can soar unburdened. Next time on Toxic Workplace. I had another nurse who was there for 38 years. She made me explain to her why I wanted to work on the unit. She said, why would you want to work in a unit where there's only gossiping women? I was like, because I'm a nurse and I wanted to work for children. And she made me explain to her like why I'm here. Just basically trying to seem like I didn't belong. They were questioning me in front of the providers to make it seem like I didn't know what I was doing, which I didn't because I was brand new. And a lot of times I was on my own and I felt afraid to ask questions. This was just going on and on. And then I had finally reached out to um, another coworker and she was like, you need to stand up for yourself. This one, everything backfired. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have a story to share, please go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the employee and the company. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.